Hello and welcome to Sellers Lounge. I'm your host, Pritha Dubey, an international sales trainer and founder of Success Vitamin, where we help organizations create sales superstars by combining the science of selling and the emotional intelligence. On this podcast, I sit across global sales experts to find answers to some of the most pressing revenue growth questions that are on the minds of business heads, CROs, and the startup founders today. We are spotting the top trends and tools that are disrupting the landscape of sales. Ready to graduate from Sales 101 to Sales 1001? Stick around because class is officially in session. Jump right in. Well, hello, 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 and welcome back to this podcast. And uh, Sellers Lounge is back with another episode. And this time, we have our guest from Mumbai. Vishal Sharma is the CEO of Godrej Industries, Godrej Chemicals. He has close to three decades of experience and has worked across five continents in operational and strategic roles. He says that he's absolutely passionate about driving sustainability, helping people succeed and building strong businesses. And I'm very, very thrilled to have Vishal in the, as a guest for this episode today because we are going to talk business. We are going to talk what goes on in the minds of a CEO when they hear the word business or when they hear the word revenue. So Vishal, welcome to Sellers Lounge. Thank you, Pita, and happy to be here. And thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. And uh, I think uh, the first thing that all our audience and everybody would love to know is your journey. I mean, of course, everybody aspires to reach a CXO level and become a CEO and lead businesses across continents like how you have done. There are so many people who would find so much of inspiration from the journey that you've had. But the start of every journey is from a very small step that would have happened. So please take us through how did this journey unfold for you? Sure. Happy to do that, Preetha. It's probably relevant to say you know, when I was a child, I would say as 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 small as eight, eight, ten years, I remember wake up, waking up in the morning and before going to school, seeing my dad being on phone calls with customers and with other business people. And I used to I used to think the stuff that he's talking is so interesting. You know, he's talking pricing, he's talking some sales stuff, and he's talking about products. And from there, I think that that germ actually started and went on, went on from there. So somehow I was always interested in the space of business. Let's put it like that. Post me doing my engineering. I actually, I mean, most people don't know this, but I tried an entrepreneurial stint right after my engineering and it was a disaster, right? So I think this is a little bit of example of learning from failure or you know, failure being the stepping stone to go forward, it was a disaster. I tried talking to people, I tried tying up with people, and I realized after eight months that, you know what, I know nothing about the world of business, and I'm actually a fool, and I better stop this. And then I decided to do my MBA, because I said, I need to learn about this commercial side of the world. You know, I don't know this. I'm just an engineer. I know the technical side, but I don't know the commercial side. So I did my MBA, and from there, of course, you know, learned a lot and kind of kicked off from there. But so from there, you know, I joined the Mafatlar Industries as my as my first job. From there, moved on to different roles, and 
I think, uh, because I don't want to get into the details of this company and that company, I think I'll talk more about the learning steps going forward. Few things I picked up along the way, and which I'd like to share with the audience here as well. One is, there's, there's absolutely no substitute for hard work. You know, I often hear people saying this smart work versus hard work. I think you need both. I don't think you can just do smart work and not do hard work. It, it doesn't work like that. That's one thing I picked up. So I always put in a lot of hours. I'm not suggesting everyone do that because work-life balance is also very important. And I think I'm guilty of actually not following that for a long time in my life until probably the recent few years where I've managed to balance it very well. A second thing which I learned very, very profoundly, the learning agility really needs to be high. So one really needs to be curious and one needs to be trying to learn new things as you go along. You know, we often feel that we deserve something because of what we did in the past. But what I realized pretty early in my career is I'll be able to move forward if I can convince people about what I can do for them in the future. So it's not my past that's going to take me forward. It's my potential for the future that's really going to convince people to give me bigger roles. So that's number two. Number three, I think as you go along, it's a classic journey in the corporate world. You know, you start, always start as an individual contributor. Then you learn how to work with people. Then you learn how to manage people. Then you learn how to manage managers. Then you become a leader. You start thinking about strategy, et cetera, et cetera. And you go to bigger levels and start making, you know, more important decisions. But people is the name of the game. If you can't manage people well, and if you can't develop people, and if at one point in time, you don't have the realization that, you know, it's no longer about me, it's actually about them. If I help my team succeed, I will succeed. This is very important. And leadership is all about harnessing the brain power of others. It's not about exerting your brain power on them, frankly. I think this is a very profound realization. It's very important. That happened to me somewhere maybe 10, 12 years back. So that's another realization I would say along the way. And then recently, the point you, you know, so we often talk about stress in business and we talk about speed and we talk about doing multiple things. But one of my very recent learnings actually, you know, as a part of my journey is learning how to be calm and leveraging calmness and building that as a strength because your highest quality of thought and your highest quality of decision making and your highest quality of coaching people actually comes when you yourself are internally very, very calm. You cannot do any of this well if you're turbulent inside yourself. You know, so you got to be at peace. You got to be at peace with yourself. This may sound a little bit spiritual. I'm not a very spiritual guy, actually. But this is probably one of my latest learnings, frankly. So the journey's been good. It has been with people. You know, I think I've been lucky to have a lot of mentors and coaches. Some who positively coached me, some who from whom I learned what not to do as well. Yeah, because you learn from both sides. But it's been fantastic, you know, lucky to work with great people, great companies, got opportunities. I think risk taking is another very important part. There is no safe path. So as they say, you know, if you if you only learn to walk in sunshine, you're not going to go very far. You need to learn to walk in the rainy days as well. And you need to, you know, succeed. So as long as you're moving, you go fast sometimes, you go slow sometimes. Just make sure the direction is positive and you're continuously moving. You don't stop anywhere. That's, again, very important. So resilience, as they say, is, again, something which I found is, is super important. So I think those are the few things I would share in terms of, you know, what the journey has been like. I think this is a full book 
of uh, how to how to grow and what are the competencies one needs to develop it's a it's it's a full on leadership competencies that i've written down and something i'm going to i'm going to pick a few things that i would like to understand from you of course there is no substitute for hard work and you mentioned that absolutely right of course this debate that we are having that smart work versus hard work and at the same time we also hear that being busy does not mean that you are productive so now comes the aspect that hard work versus i am all the time busy i am not getting the time to therefore balance you know my other work and my family and my personal life and all that stuff people fail to understand uh, or maybe many a times the probably the confusion is how do i get productive how do i make the best utilization or the most effective utilization of my time and especially when somebody is growing there is not it's not just i leave in the morning i meet a few clients and i come back and my day is done it's not like that we as you are growing the day is going to get stretched the working hours are going to get stretched so how do that that identification of you know how do i make myself more productive so where how do we do that what is your what have you learned in the while you have picked up because you also mentioned that you know last couple of years you have been pretty okay in balancing so what is it so let's so let me answer this in two compartments the first one is about how to be productive how to manage your time and you know one of my bosses actually told me something very nice you know he said vishal it's not about managing your time it's about managing your energy and make sure you're saving the your best energy for the most important tasks and most important initiatives and in the second compartment we'll talk a little bit about work life balance and how to you know make sure you're not killing yourself because that can happen very easily also right the hard work can go out of control and overboard and you can burn out and i've seen that happening to you know people as young as 28 years old so let's go back to the first part a the 80 20 rule applies everywhere frankly 20% of the things that you do will give you 80% of the output now that could mean focusing on a few people in your team that could mean focusing on a few tasks or initiatives which will contribute most to your success it could mean focusing on your top few customers if you are in the sales function it could mean focusing on your few vendors if you are in the procurement function etc etc so this prioritization becomes extremely important yeah and when we talk of productivity it is ensuring you know the point you made about being busy does not really mean being productive i think this is absolutely correct because if you are spending a lot of your time on c category activities you will be busy and you won't have time to breathe but you're not really going to end up contributing so it's very important to categorize your tasks frankly in at least a b if not a b c categories of activities and i literally mean it take a piece of paper write down what is a what is b what is c discuss it with your manager or your colleague or whoever your key stakeholders are and take it from there and make sure you are spending at least half your time on the a category and not spending you know 80% of your time on the c category i think that is the best way to drive productivity another very important thing i learned maybe 10 12 years back you have to block time out so you know microsoft invented this very nice thing called outlook it has a calendar and even today i'm surprised with the number of people who don't use the calendar and they just try to juggle their time during the day from memory or you know just take it as it comes that's not going to work very well especially as you get more and more busy and you have 
lot of people reaching out to you. People want your time. Initiatives need your time. In large corporations, and you know, I've been there, you spend half your time just managing internal stakeholders. That's a trap, actually, if you ask me. Yeah. So time boxing is a very important technique. So me personally, for example, I have my next two weeks boxed out. It's very clear what I'm doing where, including saying thinking time, including saying reading time, and including saying email time. And if you don't do this, you lose control. So you got to control your time. You got to make sure that the environment is not controlling your time. This is very, very important. Yeah. And if you do that well, and you focus on the A category in a major way, I'm not suggesting you don't do BC because someone's got to do it. But just make sure you're allocating the time in the right way. If you do this, I think you know nothing's going to take away your productivity. You are going to be productive. You are going to do fruitful and important stuff. Coming to the second part, which is the balance, right? Because too much of hard work is also not a good thing. We are all human beings. We need to recharge. Yeah, you can't even have a car running, you know, for ten days continuously. It needs to stop somewhere and take a break. Otherwise, it's going to break down. The same thing applies to us. And it's scientifically proven the human being can take a high level of stress for some time and then it's going to come down. You can't operate at a high level of stress for a long time. That's going to kill you. It's going to kill anybody. So you need to recharge. I think that's first we need to realize this. Some of us think we are superhumans. None of us are superhumans. We are all humans. So that's one point. Second, work-life balance is a very personal choice. I've seen people who are very comfortable and I used to be one of them who are very comfortable sacrificing their personal time, taking their family and spouse for granted, taking their friends for granted, and not believing those are plants which need to be watered. The only plant that needs to be watered is my work. That's not smart. Because frankly, there will be a price you have to pay at at some point in time. And I've been there and paid that price. Okay, So it's a personal choice. And one has to decide how is one going to deal with this. And if you do the first part well, which is the prioritization and time boxing, you will automatically actually do the second part well. Without doing the first part well, you're going to struggle with the second part because work will never finish. The C category activities will take you through the weekend till Monday morning. And by the time the new week has started and you've got no time to spend on yourself, much less with your family or anybody else. Yeah. So those are a few pieces of advice I would give. So what I really liked is that you're saying that the this balancing thing, how much you want to work, and that's a personal choice. It is not something that is dictated by an organization or it is dictated by a manager or dictated by someone. It has to be a personal choice, of course, bound by the work hour policy that an organization has created. It means mean I just because it's a personal choice doesn't mean that I'll just come to office one day and say that I'm going to work for two hours only today. Tata, I'm going home. Of course, that's that is not how it works. But I but productivity again, because it comes like it again, I think goes back to that categorization that you are saying that if it is, if you're able to make yourself productive, prioritize your work properly. Maybe you won't find yourself overstretching on certain tasks. But yes, if you don't categorize and you are working on the C category work and it is going to eat away a lot of your time, time space, mental space, a lot of energy space, everything is going to get withered. And 
obviously even if even if then you are finishing your task at 6 o'clock and you're going back home you are so stressed out and burnt out probably that you're just going back home you are not really going back to home or you know two people around you which is going to give you that relaxation or that energy and so i think it again comes back to that aspect of being productive i don't want to even stir the controversy of 70 hours work per uh, per week but it's this is something which is very important that you know it's your choice how you are doing it and it is absolutely dependent on how productive you are making yourself organizations would always ha- have an expectation of a minimum working hours that we anyway have to do and i don't think and especially with my corporate works all the time i have seen that if i finished my work of the day of that the, the deliverables of that particular day has been completed nobody actually told me anything if i have then left on time if 6 o'clock nowadays the organizations have become a lot more empathetic you know they are still saying that forcefully lights will be switched off in offices and you cannot stay back so all those things are happening during my time it was not there we were all sitting till 9 o'clock 10 o'clock i've also been into organizations vishal where if at 8 o'clock i have packed up my bag to leave for home i have heard comments from my managers that half day hai kya aaj <laughs> so you know so those those things also used to happen but but time has changed and and things have moved on let me now Can get to the two quick comments yeah yeah please so so one while i did say and will stress work life balance is a personal choice i think the organizational environment and culture also has a role to play yeah? including one's immediate manager or or key stakeholders whoever they are one's got to deal with that and one's got to be courageous about that and if one is stuck in a place where you know your personal balance is not matching with the organizational balance you got to take a call on what you want to do and there are various avenues today you know you go and talk to hr you go raise it with your manager and typically you find people are empathetic point number 2 organizations are now moving to output measurements and not hours put in measurements you have deliverables if you meet those deliverables or if you deliver the output that is expected of you i really don't think too many people care about how many hours you spend and that's that's not relevant you know what may happen is the output expectation may rise in the next year or in the next performance period that may happen but i think most people are getting away from this 9 to 5 or whatever it is yeah there's a deliverable once you deliver it you're good go do your stuff now yeah if you want to have fun go have fun no one yeah i think that's exactly how it has happened and also because the talk of mental well being we have now also thankfully we are in an era where organizations are getting conscious about this mental well being aspect earlier it was not the case i have all through my life been in sales vishal and we know how you know sales as a function used to be run by the managers by the superiors like top down it was run in a very aggressive manner highly pressurized environment and that always be closing was like the mantra like you know if you are not closing if you may have been a top performer the last month this month you are lagging by even one or two numbers you are suddenly like you know as if the worst person zero to zero yeah exactly and you know imagine how it used to impact a person's 
mental well-being at that point of time it used to it was not easy for everyone to take to and no wonder sales has got a very bad name therefore that people are afraid of getting into sales i'm going to touch upon a subject which is very close to my heart and something that i work on and also because i have been a woman in sales there is of course very low representation of women across all departments hierarchies except for maybe certain departments where people this is the stereotypical typical thoughts are there women are more good for these kind of departments and not so good for other departments and i'm not saying that those stereotypical thoughts are only with the organization even women have those kind of biases you know within them which prohibits them but let's talk about women in sales or women in leadership you know of their prospect of being in sales and uh, how open from a let's because they don't know sometimes they put it that organizations don't want women to participate and most of the time the activism or the fight that we are seeing is on that side only that organization need to have a target organization needs to have more women and they need to have a very inclusive policy so what are your views of women representation and how women should develop themselves so that organization feels that confidence of including no it's a it's a great point preeta so let you know let's look at this from a few angles and even before coming to women in sales let's just talk about diversity in itself as a subject so today and for the last few years and i'm sure for the next many years there are two primary trends in the business world one is green sustainability and the second is diversity and inclusion yeah and these are very strong most of the large organizations you look at around and i interact with many of them you know all the time they are very very focused on diversity now so i think from a organizational perspective this is a big movement that's going on and their organizations are now very focused every company worth its salt is measuring its diversity ratios yeah they even have to declare it in their annual reports so it's not a matter of just talking anymore it's being measured and it's been quantitatively measured and you know people are looking at this so it's very important i mean esg is a big subject even in the investing world now having said that this is also quite cultural so you know for example if i ask a open question which is the country which has the highest proportion of cxos who are females i don't think anybody will be able to guess it it's thailand okay which is frankly a fairly conservative culture but women are pretty strong there the ratio is 50% by the way 50% of cxos in thailand are women it's one is to one you go to saudi arabia it's cultural women typically you don't find women in the workforce okay because that's how the culture has evolved now it's changing and the country is changing and you know the crown prince is very actively pushing diversity but it's cultural we in india again there is a certain legacy we have this is some culture we've come from so we can't discount the culture and you can't suddenly start measuring india versus the united kingdom or india versus thailand or india versus south you know saudi arabia for an example since i took that name you got to look at each geography and each cultural group in its exclusivity and then see what's a start point and where we need to go okay and what's a sensible ratio because you also got to look at the talent pool so i'm just saying you got to keep that in perspective so while keeping that in perspective the fact remains every organization worth its salt is moving very strong on the diversity you know path now coming to the specific subject i think 
both the organization and women themselves have a role to play here. There are also situations where women may not necessarily feel confident enough to aspire for certain roles or feel confident enough or courageous enough to go and do certain kinds of roles, yeah, which may involve traveling, which may involve working odd hours, etc., etc. What I found is when women are confident in themselves and courageous enough, they are successful. That is crystal clear. A lot of men may not like me, like me saying this, but I actually find, you know, I spoke about calmness earlier. I find women come with a certain innate kind of calmness. If you talk of empathy for people, I think women come generally with a higher level of empathy. The aggression levels are typically lower. This works very well with people. You know, I've had women bosses who I've worked with. They've been very good. I have extremely successful women colleagues I've worked with. I've had women in my team. Top notch, absolutely. You know, there is no reason why anybody would think anything about that. You know, men would do better than women. I'm sorry. That's gone. That's, you know, forget about it. That's not even worth spending 10 seconds on. So I think it's both. It's organizations ensuring that they are providing an equal opportunity. It's women also enhancing their confidence and building their capabilities to aspire for things that maybe, you know, normally, culturally, women are not expected to aspire for. I think women need to get past that and just get rid of, get rid of any mindset of that sort. Now, there's also, there's also this concept of allyship which is very important. And allyship is where men in the organization, men next to the women, need to ensure they are giving that little bit of extra push to the women, to their women colleagues, okay, to their women mates, and encouraging them to go for it. There have been situations where you observe, you know, somebody saying, oh, but that role a girl can't do. We need to get out of that. There is no role a girl can't do. I can give you a prime example. In my past organization, there was a mining business. And in the mining business, you got to go to mines and you got to go to large, you know, mineral refineries and stuff like that, which are far away. You got to travel two hours away from the city. And in one meeting, somebody, a manager said, oh, no, but we can't hire women for that. Okay. Because I don't think they can go there. And there was another colleague from China who was the leader of China. And she said, hello, one second. I spent five years in the mining space. I've been to every single mine in China you can talk about, every large one. And I've done that. So please don't say that. That was beautiful. That was just beautiful. You know? So I think this is how we got to look at it. Organizations have their role to play. We got to be cognizant of the culture of the land where we are. And women need to push it forward themselves harder. And men next to them need to provide allyship. I think if this works together, we are going to continuously keep progressing. And this is not going to go from 10 to 20 to 30 very fast. It's going to be slower, but it's going to be steady. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's the valid point, you know. One is also because the organizations are these days also getting, one is that realization, the awareness that there is bias, unconscious bias that we are not aware of. It is there. So again, this conscious, you know, there's these sessions that, continue to happen on on breaking that unconscious bias letting people be aware of their unconscious bias I think that's a good start because whenever I go and do these kind of sessions I always hear from women those patronizing statements that they get to hear like the example that you said you know it's a mining space we cannot send women so these are very patronizing and sometimes the the challenge is the men come and say that but I'm not saying to discriminate I'm saying it out of concern. I am saying it because 
it's not that I have something against the lady. I am saying because I am really concerned about the person. It's it's empathy. I think that person that that choice needs to be made by the lady. Lady, exactly. Give her the opportunity and let her decide. True, true, and that is where these are where again those awareness sessions are so important that. You know, sometimes we don't understand because see, we have all been the conditioning, the upbringing, our culture, as you rightly said, it has been like that. So I think these kind of awareness sessions also helps where people then get to realize that, okay, I'm patronizing. I am being, maybe I'm I'm stereotyping, gender stereotyping somebody. Now, when that consciousness happens and it leads to some kind of a self-awareness, automatically then the responsibilities or the opportunities they start giving that allyship will only happen, I believe, is when I am conscious about my biases. Great point. Totally agree. And then only I can allow that to happen. Otherwise, it will be more like those lip syncs, which I really don't mean, but I'm just saying it to you. So I'm not truly ally to uh, your your thoughts and this. From a CEXO level, so at a ground level, salespeople, I'm now going, I'm going to go back to my subject. Salespeople, we are working very hard. We are struggling. And every time, you know, the challenges, quotas keep changing. The goalpost, you know, so to this month, I have got some target. Again, sometime later, the targets get revised and you're like, no, 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 you're not chasing this. You're not chasing X, you're chasing X plus Y. And we always say that there is no limit to the amount of targets that are going to come to us and the perception becomes that if you are a performer and if you perform well, you are bound to get an extremely stretched target and you are the only one who gets all the pressure of you know achieving you know, more and more and more the entire, it seems in the entire organization's quota comes on those people who are top performers. So it's, you know, being a top performer also is like a cola, is a, is a damage that one one invites uh, to themselves from a CXO level when at from that top most level when you are looking at revenue or because that's the one thing that is you need so that the profitability is taken care of of course the finance team and everything is looking at the cost side but cost we can control only to a certain limit for the profitability revenue is becomes a very important contribution the top line when you look at revenue, what is what do you think? Where where what is the meaning of revenue for you? It's more clients, it's more wallet share, it's more market share, it is more product, it's new markets, expansion. What is revenue for you? What is the meaning of revenue to a CXO? So as I answer that, I'll just replace the word revenue with profitable revenue. That's important. Yeah. Because you can also generate a lot of revenue that's not profitable and that's not going to help anybody. And you're absolutely right. No business made it big by managing cost. You make it big by growing profitably. Yeah. Now, having said that, the meaning of revenue. So one thing is very clear. Profitable revenue is the lifeblood. You don't get that. You don't have a future. You're going to die. It's only a matter of time. Yeah? Shrinking businesses, for example, never made it very far. Yes, at times you may need to shrink to become profitable. And then from there, you need to go back on the virtuous cycle of growing profitably. So that can happen occasionally. So revenue is very clearly the lifeblood. Now, what's the meaning of revenue? So you got to generate a profitable dollar. I think the first concept out here is be very clear. What's the value you're bringing to a potential customer? 
this has to be very clear in any business. So any CXO, you know, sales leader, marketing leader, call it whatever you want, business leader, you need to be very, very clear upfront, where is the value creation happening? Because it's not just a question of driving revenues. You know, as I said, profitable revenue, you also got to make sure that that profitability exists out there. And that profitability is a measure of the value you're creating for the customer. I think once you're clear about where the value creation for the customer is, because that's the only reason the customer is going to buy something from you, then you get down to, okay, so which segment am I going to focus? Which segment is going to actually appreciate what I'm bringing the most? Where is there going to be a demand for this? Second, there are certain segments that are going to grow. There are certain segments that are flat. There are certain segments that are declining. Make your choice and make your choice very carefully out there. Okay, so what I'm explaining basically is the where to play, you know, kind of subject. Third, be very careful about your geographies. You're shipping something 100 kilometers, that means one thing. You're shipping something 1,500 kilometers, that means another thing. And A, that's going to increase your lead times. Your customer may not like those kind of lead times. They'll buy from somebody who's close by. So look at your geographies and see what's happening there. Fourth, look at your customer type. Are they big ones? Are they small ones? Typically, you never make good money selling to the biggest customers because they buy big, they negotiate the hardest. So there are a lot of companies who actually focus more on tier two, tier three customers versus focusing on tier one customers. Yeah, because it's easier to do business. Not everyone's fighting there. It's not the red ocean. There's a little bit of blueness there in that ocean. So you can go for it and you may get sales and you'll make some money there as well. So it's about that. Then you can get into much more detailed, you know, you can look at customer psychographics and then there are different words and terms and different kinds of analysis which you can do for customers. But I think at the most basic level, this is what it's about. Not to forget innovation. How is the market seeing you, right? And everybody likes new things and so do customers. The more newness you can bring, and newness does not need to be just in product. It can be in your business model. It can be the way you deliver. It can be your service. It can be how you communicate. I think this is very important. Again, businesses many times forget about the newness and then they become stale. And when you become stale, you're not wanted anymore. Like I've been told by customers at times, you know what? I'm looking for the next Apple and I don't see you as the next Apple. So then you go back and think, so what am I going to do to be seen as the next Apple? And you got to figure it out and you got to do that. So Preetha, I think it's a combination of all of this that people who are in charge of revenue need to look at because it's not a question of one year. The timeframes that we measure revenue in is, is, is yearly, but you actually need to be thinking about today while building very, very seriously for tomorrow because you want to play this game long. So what I hear you say is that understand the organization's vision or mission, whatever we are talking about right now. So if in 2023, we are right now planning a 2025, mission 2025, understand that. And it's not about the year's revenue or the month's revenue or the quarter's revenue that you are achieving the plan should be made in a way that I am actually taking my organization to that level of the mission that I have in mind. It's not about that, that this year I've got some 10x million dollars target. So I have to achieve that 10 million dollars target. It's not about that. That's a very myopic kind of a vision. And probably a vision like that is what leads to that stress in a sales kind of an environment because 
then I am only doing, it's like a tick mark activity. It's just a very transactional job that I am into. And I'm really not enjoying the whole concept of finding a new customer, serving that new customer, finding out the real need and the problem of a customer, and then trying to make myself the next Apple. If that is what my target segment, I think the biggest mistake, uh, Vishal, which I have seen with the, maybe from the mid-management to bottom level, a gap, if I may say, of why they're frustrated most of the time, it is because they don't have a defined target profile. You know, who, if I, whenever I go and ask them, who is your customer? They'll give me a very broad statement about who is my customer. And when this customer in themselves are not defined, what happens? The entire approach is very random. You're knocking at every door. And when you're knocking at every door, some doors will give you an entry and some doors will shut on your mouth, on your face, you know. So or then the projections also that they are giving. So even if they're saying that, okay, in you know, this month or this quarter, I'm going to do that, there is no guarantee or there is no assurance of that projection because there is no structure. I, I am very randomly approaching my market. What you mentioned was a very structured approach of how you go about selling, how you find your customers, how you go to them, you understand the geography, you plan those aspects of the geography so that you're able to eliminate some or reduce some competition in those areas so that it's not completely a red ocean where you are swimming. You are able to find some blue ocean elements to it. I think those aspects at a mid-management and below level, the sales managers or the sales leaders are probably not thinking or they're not aligned. So four, four, four quick points. And sorry, I'm a very one, two, three, four guy. Number one, I think you very rightly say, and I'll phrase it like this. You need to think like a sniper. You don't just go there shooting, shooting everywhere. That does not work, especially in the B2B space. Okay. Point number one. Point number two, you need to be prepared to say that that list I'm not going after. I'm going after that list. And you need to have the courage to make that choice. That is extremely, you know, extremely, extremely uh, important. But to say no also. To say no. No, to make up your mind, I've got these 100 customers. These are the 50 I'm focusing on. These 50 I'm not focusing on. Because I, you know, it's going to be a long cycle time there. I'm going to spend too much time convincing them. I won't probably make money out there. It's these 50, which is my target group. I'm going to go there and I'm not going there. You need to be comfortable making that choice. Point number three. There are only three ways to grow in life, in business, okay, from a sales point of view. One, sell sell to more customers. Two, sell more to every customer. Three, sell more things. There is no fourth way. There is no fourth way, okay? So one has to simplify the challenge and simplify the problem. This is very important. We often tend to really complexify it. And then we are sitting and looking up in the sky, wondering what's what's happening and what's going wrong. And that takes me to the fourth point, which is measure. Measure activities. You know, many a times we get stuck in only measuring results. The sales is declining. I'm losing customers. Okay, hang on. So why is it declining? What exactly happened there? And sometimes you find you're really not losing customers. You're losing share within the customers. So everyone's still buying from you. The big ones are just buying lesser. So Today, there's, there's so many tools and so much analytics is possible. Not everyone does this, but I think if you start doing this, it becomes extremely powerful. You got to identify the root cause of what's happening. If you're growing, why are you growing? 
If you're not growing, why are you not growing? And find those things that are working, do more of those. Find the things that are not working, fix those. I think I can't emphasize enough the importance of an introducing analytics in today's world with and also with the CRMs, the vision of AI now with the CRMs, analytics have become even more easy. You know, the, even the analysis have started coming in. And uh, it's a it's it's criminal if today's time, if the managers or the organizations are saying that I don't want to utilize the technology that is supposed to support me in doing my business better. And I have also come across decent-sized organizations, which are large corporate, if not corporations. They're still, the sales team is still monitoring themselves on an Excel sheet. And and again, even if some, some organizations have CRMs, which are this, they don't know how to analyze the data of a CRM. All they are doing is how many meetings they have, uh, they have done today and uh, how the progress has happened from a proposal stage to the negotiation stage to, you know, something else, other stage. They're just looking at it. Oh, this client has been sitting on the proposal stage for a very long time. What is happening here? But that is not analysis. That is not the real job of a CRM. That much data you could have managed on an Excel sheet also. So, uh, you know, but that analysis that gives you the prediction of what is going to happen. That gives you an insight as to the strength, the skills of your sales team, which gives you again, an ins- you know, the aspect of coaching, where I need to coach my team. But that also then the result is the same. The answer response comes back the same. I don't have the time to coach my people. From an organized, from a CXO level, and this is a message to all the sales leaders, of course, to every leader, But especially to the sales leader, why I'm saying is because sales is a very dynamic function. The team is very dynamic. They're they're very, you know, they're constantly thinking. And of course, again, the attrition and the churning is very high in this particular particular function. So when you are a sales leader, coaching, how important is for them to develop, to be coaching their team? The best sales leaders are the best coaches. They are not necessarily the best salespeople themselves. I think this is a very, very important item for all business leaders to note. We often make the mistake of promoting the best salesperson to become a sales leader. And I would say one out of two or five out of ten, that goes the wrong way. Because the skill sets are very different. It's very different being a leader of people and it's very different being an individual salesperson yourself. So the best sales, the best sales leaders are typically the best coaches where they spend the majority of their time is with their people, coaching them on specific things. They don't coach everyone on the same thing. They coach individuals based on what those individuals need, what gaps those individuals need to solve. And before doing that, they do their analysis. So the the measurements and analysis we spoke about, good sales leaders do that. They know exactly what's going on. Yeah. It's like I said, it's very easy to say your sales and your sales are declining. You're missing your targets again and again every month. Why? What's going wrong? Spend some time, go through the details, understand that, have the discussions. Now coach on the important, now coach on the point that needs to be coached. Otherwise, it's a general lecture and a general lecture is going to help nobody. And salesperson A and salesperson B may need to be coached on different things, not the same thing. One needs to understand that. True. 
and it is and i also say that it is a very top down kind of an approach it is suddenly you know i can't just have it happening only at a, maybe a frontline sales and their and just their immediate manager it can't just happen at that level they need to every layer has to feel that they are being coached also what i've realized is sometimes when we talk about delegation and we delegate task people think that delegation is more about uh, distributing tasks to my team but delegation is also an opportunity of coaching of grooming a future leader and uh, even through that process there's so much of coaching that can happen of how i am grooming somebody to take up my role so that i can take up my manager's role and you know that is how the growth of an individual happens i that is also a place where everything is top down then that you know the approach has to happen from the top to the ground level and i feel that sometimes you know i keep telling that that serial that we used to watch kyunki saas bhi kabhi bahu thi so it's it's more of that that happens if i was a when when i was an individual how my manager treated me somehow even if i may not have liked it that time when i become a manager i end up doing the same thing so i don't i don't remember that serial but if if what you're talking about is you know being directive versus being supportive i think the days of being directive are gone today it's all about how can i help you that's the question managers need to be asking their teams yeah not do it the way i'm telling you those days are gone i mean people are smart enough make them independent let them figure out how to do it and make sure you're there to support them and guide them i think i think that's the best approach to take otherwise you don't grow anybody yeah you just tell you just you're just fishing for them you need to teach them how to fish themselves very true and i think one point that you made very correct is something that i resonate very strongly is that many times they do the mistake of promoting the top performer who may or may not have the leadership competencies you know they may not have that competencies of how to manage the team and i also feel that you know therefore i whenever i coach the leaders i tell them that have the person who is who is who is an uh, of course above average kind of a performer is not a very below average performer this the person is doing 75% 80% of the you know achievement of uh, achievement target achievement this person is doing but you know every team identifies a virtual leader there is that one person who is that go to person any problem you have you are going to that person are i got stuck here kaise how do i they don't go to their manager they identify that leader and a manager job is to know who is that virtual leader whom the team has identified recognize that person as a leader isn't it that's how i think the growth therefore happen and then when the manager has identified okay this is the person whom everyone else is looking up to and taking help and taking support and all that stuff let me first see what is their what is this person's performance level let me coach and take this person to a level where i can now present his case to become a leader let me take them to that and let me also coach this person now on how to become a manager how to become a leader so that this person now next becomes the leader of a person so again this requires some visionary you know some visionary competencies in that person to be able to see that to be able to identify that and i think most important is to not feel insecure themselves well said that insecurity part is very important actually many a times people don't end up hiring the right kind of people because they worry that this person may come in and actually be better than me 
But frankly, that's the person you should be hiring. That's the best person you could be hiring. You'll do yourself a service and you'll do your, you know, your company and your business a very good service by hiring that person. Because that person is ready to probably take your job and you can go do something else. So Vishal, towards the end, how do you manage your stress? So I spoke about calmness earlier, right? I think, and we spoke about the productivity and the work-life balance part. So me personally, I think I've learned how to drive that productivity and how to prioritize very carefully. I'm not suggesting I'm perfect at it. I don't think anybody ever becomes perfect at it. But you you learn to deal with it better. I think that's that's item number one. Item number two, then you make a deliberate choice. Okay, so like, for example, I start my day with 90 minutes in the gym, six days a week, right? Particularly on working days and even on the weekends. So that's a great start. Now, I will not compromise that for anything. Nothing. It's probably only if, you know, something's burning down, the building's burning down, that's when I'll compromise on that. Otherwise, no chance. So it's very important to find that time for yourself and find those few things which really help you and keep you energized. For some, for me, it's probably starting with the gym. For somebody, it's maybe reading something. For somebody, it's maybe going for a swim. For somebody, it's maybe spending time with the family or friends. It could be different things for different people. Find out what that is. Find out what that de-stressor is. And then make sure you're spending the required amount of time on that. And, you know, this thing is a problem. I can't think of any other way to say it. It's just become a, you know, part of our body, actually. So you find people waking up with this and you find people sleeping with this. I think that also is a problem because you're not... I must tell them that Vishal is actually indicating the mobile phones that we carry all the time. Oh, I thought it was visible. No, oh, but the audio guys may not be able to see it. Okay. So that, yeah, we're talking about the mobile phone, which has now become boon or a bane. It's difficult for us to now understand what it has happened. Yeah. Because it's a tool which, if used in the right way, is great. And if used not used in the right way, is a disaster. You know, there's, again, we can get into a different areas, so I won't go there. So I think that's very important. So I'm very conscious about that. So there are moments when I don't even carry my phone with me, I leave it away. Let it ring. Whatever's happening, that's fine. Yeah, but you've got to keep yourself free from distractions. See, you decide what what your brain's going to do. Don't let the environment decide what your brain's going to do. This is very important. And it's important to ensure that you're keeping yourself sane. Because otherwise, you can drive yourself crazy with the demands on you. The demands of all types, by the way. There's demands from work. There's demands from your stakeholders. There could be demands from your parents, your family, your friends, your kids, every place. You have to safeguard your energy and you go to manage your sanity. So I think if one is conscious about this, if one identifies those de-stressors, one identifies their safe time and their own time, I think it works fine then. But one's going to do it proactively. It's not going to happen by itself. That's, the I think, the biggest takeaway for everybody because we we tend to look outside for all these things to happen to us or somebody else bringing it to us and i think the the major fight an internal fight that happens or the unhappiness or the stress or the frustration is because i am leaving this to some to the outer world or the outer environment to bring it to me i think what you said is absolutely right you have to ensure that you are able to bring that peace for yourself and you are doing something that can allow you to fight that stress. 
it's up to you you know your work you know the kind of demands that you have got you can't come back and say that oh my manager is very pushy or my manager is very you know is 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 very demanding or my organization is a very high pressured organization or i work under a very high pressure environment or the culture is not good there are going to be demands it's it's not going to be you not you know then the best i don't know what is the best alternative to that these are situations that are there around you so you have to ensure that you you do whatever is required for your mental peace for that sometimes you will need to do transparent communication direct communication sometimes you have assertive sometimes you will have to demand a certain thing sometimes you will have to create value for other people sometimes you have to make space for others and get space for yourself there are multiple things that one needs to do and it's you end of the day who is responsible so that's i think on that note we are good enough to end our uh, episode today vishal i think it was amazing the kind of wisdom the knowledge that you shared i think all those who are aspiring at your level who are already at your level and especially the ones who are at the ground level and who look at sales from a very different perspective i think you brought a very new and a very interesting perspective as to what my management thinks about sales what my management understands about revenue and how i am chasing a revenue i think that that perspective got clear that what i am chasing and what is my management expecting i think that clarity is is very important and that communication sometimes organization misses out you know sending out that communication that this is what we mean and this is what we are expecting from you so don't just crazily chase a number understand why is this a target for you and why you are asked to chase this so understand that i think it's beautiful thank you thank you so much vishal for your time thank you prita thank you for having me pleasure to be here and that's a wrap on today's episode of sellers lounge a huge thank you to our guests and of course all of you sales champions out there who tuned into this episode if you found value in today's conversation make sure to follow the podcast and share it with your sales buddies please also leave a review sharing what you like about this podcast and if you want to take your sales game to the next level head to my website thesuccessvitamin.com to get loads of exclusive content and courses this is your host pratha dube signing off with a reminder that if you are not selling you are not winning See you next week.